0: How do you do? The box office pulp board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the Internet. Analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you it might even horrify you so if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain now's your chance to well we've warned you now to pause and refresh for your convenience we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby With buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy.
1: I've got something for you here, something I think you'll like. I found him on my walk.
2: He's quite harmless. Little boys love snakes. Grandma!
3: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, Madness, Moxie, and tonight, Mouse Hexes. (laughs) No, I'm not talking about the name to my newest garage band. Today, we're making a commentary track for the underseen, over-creepy, kids-in-quotation-marks-only movie, The Witches. I'm your host and Grand High Witch, Cody, and joining Mike Coven today is our own Sultan of Slime, Mike. Say hello, Mike.
2: Hey, I'm a mouse, witch, monster thing.
3: I think you've seen the movie. Also joining us today is our very own
1: Rowan Atkinson. Jamie, say hello, Jamie. I do want to warn you, I have come down with a mild case of diabetes. diabetes. So I'm going to be a little ill this episode. <laughs> I never realized, is that just, did they all say diabetes
3: in England? Or is that just like that kid just says it that way because he saw it on the commercials? That
1: friggin' destroyed me when I rewatched
2: this. He said the thing. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> I almost so got happy. the diabetes. Also, did anybody making this movie know exactly what diabetes was?
1: I uh, was very confused. By that. Do Asha. they think it's some kind of leech that attaches itself to the host? Apparently they changed it. In the book
3: she had some other disease or something and this one they're like pneumonia. she needs Yeah, she needs low blood sugar. That'll do the trick.
2: Just give her a cookie, she'll be fine.
1: People are curing diabetes every day.
3: <laughs> I mean, we could sit here and talk about diabetes all day long, but I'd much rather talk about my personal poison, alcohol. Hey. So before we get into the commentary proper, uh, I've got a mix for everyone who wants to get into the witch's spirit. This is a drink called Barm Brack. And boy, if that doesn't give you the willies. So it's a two-part recipe. you got to do a little bit of prep work here. One, we're going to be making a raisin syrup. So you're going to need a cup of raisins uh one and a quarter cups of super fine sugar and seven ounces of hot water you're gonna dump those raisins into a medium saucepan toast the raisins over a medium heat until fragrant about five minutes you want to make sure you don't burn the raisins or else you've destroyed everything it's being god awful uh after the raisins have been toasted add the sugar add the hot water be careful this could cause some steam so it might set off uh smoke detectors Uh, so you can just pour and stir, pour and stir slowly as a tongue twister to make sure everything gets distributed evenly and you don't start your house on fire. Once everything's all stirred up, let that simmer for about 10 minutes. You can get a really good bubble. Uh, I like to scrape the edges every once in a while to make sure I'm not, you know, going to burn that syrup because it's a lot of sugar in there. Uh, let that cool down completely, strain into a jar. You don't want the raisin bits left over. You just want the syrup. You can go ahead and cover that, refrigerate it. Uh, It'll last for like a month. It's indestructible. Once you have that syrup, we're moving on to the actual drink mixing part. You're going to need two ounces of a single malt Irish whiskey. You're going to need a half teaspoon of St. Elizabeth Allspice... I can't say these words. Allspice Dram, which uh, if you can't find that specific one, I guess whatever rum-based allspice liqueur you can find sitting around at your drugstore uh you need two-thirds ounce of that toasted raisin syrup we just made you are gonna need a half ounce of heavy cream one large egg yolk not the whole deal you don't need the entire egg you don't need the whites you want to separate out the yolk it's going to give it a little bit of a nog flavor uh, a pinch of salt and for garnish you need a pinch of nutmeg so get yourself a chilled glass mix all the ingredients but the nutmeg together shake well You want to make sure that egg is distributed evenly, so stir that up pretty well. And then garnish with some nutmeg, and you get a brownish, brackish, creamy spice drink, which is actually in honor of the old Irish Halloween bread, barmbrack, which uh, is actually currants and raisins and bread. I didn't want to eat that. I wanted to drink, so we got this instead. So traditionally also in that bread, you would get coins, rings, weird things like peas, baked inside as kind of a fortune-telling game trick-or-treat deal. So I know this isn't an Irish movie that we're about to watch, but, hell, Tales of Witches go back as far into history as I can think of. So
1: making a drink with a lot of tradition behind it, something a little archaic, made sense. And It's, it's vaguely Norwegian, so it's kind of, it's in the European territory. <laughs> it's not American. Also, when you're making the raisin syrup, you get,
3: you know, this bubble, bubble, toil and trouble deal with the, the syrup as it foams. So that's, you know, close enough to feeling like you're sitting as a modern witch over a cauldron, even though you're making a syrup which could harden and destroy all of your cookware. So I haven't actually tried this drink yet. It's been sitting out as we prepared to record. So I might get salmonella. Everyone prepare
1: yourselves. We're going to find out if this is good or not. To be fair, that's a possibility with every podcast. Also, I just want to point out, I feel Mm. like most of the decisions you make can be be, uh, punctuated with, but I wanted it to drink instead. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually delicious. Ooh, nice now. Uh,
3: it's it's very creamy. It tastes a lot like uh, eggnog, but okay. I went kind of over overboard on the dram, so it's got a little bit more kick. Just a hint of raisin in the aftertaste. I don't know how you guys feel about raisins, but I'm crazy for them. Oh, I, I'm
1: I'm borderline crazy about those raisins.
3: Hey, that's actually why we're here today. Our sponsor for today's show is the Raisin Company.
1: <laughs> Just a California raisin. <laughs> He's <laughs> leaning over me with the gun. Come on, guys. I don't know how much longer I can last. Give him the raisin puns.
2: Did a California raisin ever make you hungry?
1: No. No, it reminded me about, of
3: mortality. Are you talking about like eating one of the California raisins? Yes, eating like one the alive
2: while they scream, preferably.
3: And play the saxophone. No, actually, I never thought about that, but they're they're probably endangered. I mean, if you kill one of those guys, you can eat for a month. There's so much raisin inside of there, so much, like, fiber.
2: Yeah, I like this
4: idea.
1: (laughs) I mean, I am convinced that this entire uh, obsession with movie-based drinks you've leaned into lately is just an elaborate plan to turn me into an alcoholic.
3: I mean, most of these are fairly small drinks, and we're doing a commentary, so I can't get up and get more. So, you know, it's you can only get so buzzed. Unless oh, yeah. one of the drinks turns out to be, just drink all of this 100-proof rum. Just drink it. <laughs> drink the bottle. If that's ever the movie commentary drink, folks at home, don't listen to me. I've gone mad with power. <laughs> the
1: final the final Harry Potter movie was like, here's a fucking bottle of absinthe. <laughs> I drink do it have
3: that up, sitting Johnny left boy. over. That was like $30. dollars i got to drink that stuff someday.
2: And remember, if you, um, if you want to celebrate Halloween preferably, and as I usually say when it comes to these commentary drinks, make it, get in your car. And get in your car, box head through the neighborhood and just dodge children dressed as ghosts. <laughs> make
3: those costumes real. We're actually going to have an update on this podcast in a week where I'll tell you I had horrible salmonella poisoning from letting that egg yolk sit out too long. If you don't see the update, assume I died. If you do see the update, assume it was fine, and it's not a problem to let it sit and kind of mellow for a while. Anyways, The Witches. We've got the movie queued up. If you want to watch along with us, we're going to have a countdown in just a few seconds here. When the countdown ends, we're going to play the movie. We're going to talk
2: over it. You have the option to watch along with. You do you. Mike, you want to give us the countdown? Happy Zalway, everybody. One. Two. Three. One of these days, I want you to give the countdown in a punk
3: rock style. Just, like, surprise people That one, two, three, four, and then play it.
1: <laughs> Oh, God, and then they die. their car into a child.
3: <laughs> if only I hadn't been mixing my drink while on the highway and trying to queue up the witches on Amazon Prime.
2: Thank God he was already dressed like a skeleton.
1: I feel like that dude who murdered a family because he was fucking watching Road Trip in his car while on the freeway. I've been obsessed with that story for, like, 15 okay. years. I also have to say after seeing the slow degradation of the WB logo through our Harry Potter commentaries, it's nice seeing the classic logo for once
4: surreal. unhappy
3: music so I I actually have a a point, this is a weird thing I probably have my longest bit of notes about this opening segment here where we have (laughs) speed ramping over the Alps, I'm assuming, or something Uh, I think this was Norway if I remember it Boy, this is an effect I typically hate. Uh, You see it so often in old car movies, you know, to to make the chase seem more real and entertaining. But you can also see people weirdly moving quickly in the background. It just, it tends to look goofy and date films. But everyone does it. Peter Jackson, like, did his weird undercranking thing for King Kong. He was just obsessed with that effect on Skull Island. Uh, Ridley Scott messed around with it during Kingdom of Heaven for some of the fight scenes. I think to try and give the impression of like adrenaline spikes in battle. I don't know. It's it's strange. So many people have this fascination with let's just make the shot look goofy by trying to screw with time. But here, I actually really dig it. For some reason, this mostly unconnected shot of just flying over snowy mountains works. The creds flying by the the music that goes along with it that starts off as kind of adventurous and morphs into a little unsettling before going into adventurous again. It's it's fun. It's kooky. It's offbeat. It gives a good impression of what the
1: film is going to be. My, my thing is always, what is it with movies, like specifically spooky movies of the late 80s, early 90s, and sinister helicopter shots of the countryside. It's like we have this, Hocus Pocus, Beetlejuice. That was weirdly a trope for a short amount of time.
3: Everyone's just excited to get a helicopter. There must have been a deal or something. Gas was cheap, who knows.
1: And the it's always countryside with was similar terrible.
3: music. <laughs> I do want to call out the music here again, just because I'm really impressed by what it does and the way they actually kind of use it as a tool in this movie In kind of unexpected ways uh the the late composer stanley myers did it and the dude has like over 60 scores on his resume ranging from the deer hunter to uh, the house of whipcord so he did a lot of high and low stuff there was uh rosencrantz and gildenstern are dead so he had a mix of different attitudes for his work but you hear that range right away too and all his different skills You get those lighter, adventurous bits. You get the little bit of darkness every once in a while, outright scary music. There's zany, creepy, funny, swashbuckling, and it's all second to second. And even in parts that would be terrifying, like later on when a person's transforming into a mouse, he underscores it with comedy music so the children don't just have nightmares for the rest of their lives. It's, It's an interesting way to use score to undercut the visuals on screen instead of emphasize them and have that be a purposeful point.
1: And the score of this movie does not get nearly a lo- enough love. Well, I think that's true of the entire movie. Most people uh, don't know about the witches, it seems like. Which is odd, because maybe it's just specifically our generation, but I remember this being on cable all the time whenever I was very young. Far yeah, too it... young for old doll. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I had a hard time ever finding it. I don't remember it being on TV very often, but I guess that doesn't say much. Maybe I was just watching the wrong channels.
2: The only place I ever saw it was um, a VHS that um, my grandparents had. So I would only ever watch it when I was there. And it just, that's the only place it ever existed for me. I've been too you know, including until mind. I was an adult, and like finally rewatched it like several years ago. I mean, until then, it was just this weird memory.
3: They can play it on TV though without having to really cut any content, and yet it's still terrifying. You'd assume someone at the studio would be like, "Maybe we should not." This opening scene doesn't have anything actually graphic at all, but it's it's horrifying. This goddamn scene is 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 nightmare inducing. The grandma spells out in clear terms that witches are living amongst us and they look mostly like people, except for a few telltale signs. When you see that that witch hiding in her house, just staring at a child while cradling a cat, and her evil, scaly hands, ugh, those purple
1: eyes spooky shit. Now, this is just a great short film here. (laughs) (laughs) To go on a, a brief tangent, uh, In the book version of The Strain, the story opens with just this opening scene, with Setrakian's grandmother teaching him about vampires. (laughs) And while not the show's biggest sin by a long shot, it's always bothered me that that's not in the show, because that's easily the best part of the entire novel.
3: (laughs) That seems like a weird thing to cut. Didn't they have, like, a lot of running in place on that show anyways?
1: Yes. we could have a secondary podcast just wondering what the hell happened with the string. <laughs> yeah. But, Mike, I'm curious if you would agree, Rewatching this the other day, all I could think of, especially during the first act of this movie, is what a great double feature this would be with the lady
2: in white. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know um, what, come both- to think of it, a couple of years ago, I watched this back-to-back with the lady in white.
4: Oh. It's it's weird because
2: there's
1: so so very little overlap content-wise with these movies, but they have a certain old-world timelessness to them that makes them feel very much cut from the same cloth.
2: Yeah. Hang on.
1: I was going to say, despite coming from the 1990s, it feels more like a German film from the 70s, like rather than a Jim Henson WB joint.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm, I, it I remember always thinking it was way older than it actually was. Like when I, when I started watching it, technically it was new, which weirds me out yeah. looking back because in my head it was so, it was this like old movie that I was watching.
1: Oh, I, until we decided to do this episode, I was under the impression this was 81 at the most
4: recent.
3: God, this is, this, this is basically (laughs) like the last line of every H.P. Lovecraft story. Like that last (laughs) twist line, that's in italics. And Erica was in the painting. (laughs) God, this
1: horrified
3: me as a kid. It freaks me out as an adult. What a horrible thing. And and just the questions it leaves behind is the poor girl actually living inside the painting, just trapped there? Is it her soul that's trapped in there? She's aging. That's weird. What happens when she dies in the painting? (laughs) What if the
2: the painting burned up in a fire?
1: That's the part that haunts the mind of a child, the fact that she ages, because what does that mean?
3: Oh, God. If you go for the night and leave your child behind while wearing a tuxedo, there's like a 90% chance you're (laughs) never making it home. You will be killed in an accident.
1: You are not getting home from the opera that night. You are going to have a chance encounter with Joe Chill. You'll never see your child again.
3: Maybe it'll be like Jumanji and he'll disappear into a board game. I don't know. Regardless, you will never
0: meet them again.
2: (laughs) Is this a thing that, like, ever really happened in real life where parents would then go out for the night, dress the nines at, like, 9 p.m.?
4: That's during a
3: weekday? A timeless things of the movie. Like, my parents have never worn tuxedos and, and gone out for a night on the town. It feels like something that would have happened much, much earlier than the 90s, like maybe in the 50s or something, you would do this.
1: My parents had a version of that, but that was just, we're out of weed, so we're going to go down the street and smoke some with the neighbors. We'll be back whenever.
3: <laughs> well, they weren't wearing tuxedos. That's why they came back.
4: That match, it's, you
2: a, know. it's such an odd juxtaposition because you have like this old village where you feel like you're in turn of the century Germany or something, and then they're in, they get into a car dressed in a tuxedo <laughs> and drive <laughs> off. And you're like, what the fuck? Where am I right now? <laughs> well, it, it's such a weird subplot,
3: anyways. Like, it's a really janky bit to throw in there, because there's no real reason to show his parents dying. You could have easily opened the movie with Luke just living with his grandmother. You would get the picture very quickly. Oh, he's, he's an orphan. But this one, they have to have the scene where his parents come in, they establish the connection, and then immediately kill them off. Both characters are very sad for about ten seconds, and then the movie moves on.
1: No, it, no you don't understand, Cody. Roll doll hated children. And they had to suffer as much as possible. That's about the only conclusion
3: I could come up with here. There's a lot of stuff in this movie where it's like, doll was just sitting in a room somewhere just like, and I'll teach the children, I'll make a fat one, and then he'll get turned into a mouse and stepped on.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that like, if this were a movie made for adults, you would skip over the parents dying. But when it's kids, it's always grimmer.
3: I mean, yeah, it's an emotional wallop for a kid. I I do really love the way they actually set it up. Um, Just, he walks into his parents' bedroom. The bed is still made, which gives him pause. He starts calling for his parents. The police pull up. They just say, we have to talk to you. And then we cut to the grandma... Crying on the couch, and you never get the gory details. You don't find out if they were killed, and he's going to become Batman, or if they just drove into the waters, or decided they were going to become communists and then were killed by the government. <laughs> you don't. You don't need any of those details. I... It gets the emotion and brings uh... it to the forefront without getting into too many details.
4: These police brought to you by Volvo.
1: Politi. This scene is just a Werner Herzog movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> but for children. Hello,
0: orphan police. We are here to welcome a new orphan into society. There's a charge of 10 pence for the remains to be cremated.
2: Oh, if you, you, you cannot know,
0: there's, pay, <laughs> you Take another finger.
2: There's an uh, <laughs> ironic thing um, as we're recording uh, Lawrence of Arabia is currently on. I noticed right before, uh, right before we started. It's on t c m if you want to figure out how far in advance we're recording this I want to go back in their schedule um but uh, director Nicholas Rogue got his start as second unit director on Lawrence of Arabia, so
4: there's uh-huh. so a wow.
2: universal yes. happenstance going on there But
3: well, he's such a left field choice for this anyways
1: what was his, some of his other stuff was like don't look now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was surprised he did as much. I always thought this dude was. But- I thought whoever directed The Witches was a one-hit wonder.
2: Rogue might be one of the most influential directors no one talks about ever.
3: Yeah, Guy like... The Man Who Fell to Earth, and he's like, I know,
1: a children's film about witches. <laughs> yeah, didn't Spielberg say that he was his favorite director or something?
2: Spielberg, um, Nolan is super influenced by him. We wouldn't have free, we pretty much wouldn't have memento and shit if it wasn't for, for rogue.
1: Oh god, is that why we got the Waynes dying like they did, and Batman begins as a reference to this? <laughs> Just dress to the nines. <laughs> Look at it, cutesy little red phone booth. You're in Europe. Respect it. <laughs> that means the communist doctor is there to fight the witches. <laughs> Oh, and look, another terrifying
3: scene with a stranger. (laughs) This one I I really like because it sets up something later in the film that it doesn't call a lot of attention to. As she approaches him, she kind of feels confident because it's one kid, it seems fairly normal until she pulls the snake out, which is just (laughs) such an unsettling moment. Uh, But as soon as he calls for the grandma and the grandma appears, she just gets the fuck out of there. (sighs) And it sets up the idea that witches really can't get to children if parents are there to protect them. However, later in the film, we reverse that because the Grand High Witch knocks Grandma out and goes after Luke. So it evolves the rules while telling us that the Grand Witch is much more powerful and the situation can't be controlled the way we thought it was originally. And I really, really enjoy the way it skews the mythos as it goes along without actually breaking it or trying to pull the rug out from underneath us. It's playing by its own rules but not being... Forced to abide by
1: them. Yeah, something that struck me re watching this is this is a really smart screenplay. For a movie where the main character is a talking mouse, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> mouse puppet, no less. For as a kid, the thing that always terrified me about this scene was just. The fact that this has nothing to do with the rest of the plot—it's like that implies that this just happens to kids every day, and it's, it's going to happen to you too, oh,
4: it's just terrifying. you wait.
1: So I left was... her Wonka bar there.
2: <laughs> well, you, you you um you strip the witch part of this away. It's just about stranger danger. Pretty I was much.
3: Reading reading something where people are just talking about how kids are afraid of anything, not even like intentionally scary things. Like a, a kid will take anything to be scary because their mind is perceiving information on a different level than an adult. So the intention doesn't need to be there for something to be frightening. Uh, and, and one of the stories they brought up was someone mentioned something like the Grim Reaper on a birthday card for someone who's getting too old. And the kid misheard their parents say Grim Reaper and thought they said the Green Ripper. Oh. which was terrifying to that child so they didn't sleep for like two weeks because they kept having nightmares about a green monster that ripped people apart
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so trying to make a horror movie for kids is just such a difficult thing because you can't quite control it enough to make sure it won't be too scary for them and this movie they seem to have just shrugged and said fuck it, we'll just make it scary although reportedly there were many terrifying elements that were dropped from the film because kids were freaking out
2: and doll <laughs> so <we're> was pissed <laughs>
1: Despite the fact that he was equally pissed that they kept the suicide ending out. You know, Doll was a complicated guy, is what I'm saying. That's <laughs> Time for
0: diabetes. <laughs>
1: Just descending diabetes onto her. <laughs> But uh, it's fascinating to think that, conceivably, there's a director's cut of this out there that's just R-rated or something. We'll get it
3: the same day we get the R-rated cut of Venom. (laughs) Speaking of timelessness, this grandma has a house doctor come in, and she just sits in her her, her bed smoking a cigar.
1: (laughs) It's a messed up thing to get joy from, but I'm always weirdly comforted by characters smoking in movies, especially old kids' movies. Because there's something weirdly nostalgic about that. Oh, That's something you never, ever, 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 ever see anymore. Did grandma smoke a lot in the 1990s? I don't know
3: when that tailed off. I guess maybe the 90s was like the start of, hey, we're giving everyone cancer. Let's let's not have hoagies in bed. There's stogies in bed.
2: And hoagies, because like that was... that's what said.
1: <laughs> Heart attacks and lung failure, it's, it's Lettuce the Lettuce gets everywhere. I'm just imagining Bert with his eye twitching.
2: Crumbs in the bed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I want to say that was like a 2000s thing, wasn't it? When it, they finally put the hammer down and were like, no, no, no more smoking.
2: Alan Horn was the first one.
1: Yeah,
3: Disney was was big on well, still big on it. They still play anti-smoking ads before like all of their DVDs now. Which is weird because their movies actually have smoking. So it's kind of like,
2: "Oh, we we're sorry about that." It's odd. Alan Alan Horn is the reason um Lori couldn't smoke in Watchmen.
1: Yeah, that was the moment I realized that had like hit the big times when you can't smoke in an R-rated movie
2: unless you're a bad guy.
1: Because only they should get cancer
3: The character assassination of Humphrey Bogart continues (laughs) My god So in in the span of like three seconds We got introduced to the two biggest names Of the picture Uh, There's Angelica Houston Which honestly She would have all my respect If she only was Morticia Adams in the Adams Family movies? But her other work out there too, even the Wes Anderson stuff, particularly the Wes Anderson stuff, is enough to be like, "Wow, it's a legend." And on the other side, there's Rowan Atkinson, who is a comedy genius, but not actually really that funny in this movie.
4: He's
2: just an actor in this movie. It's it's odd, honestly.
3: He has those little moments, like when he goes to shake the second woman's hand, but he really doesn't want to, so it's very limp-wristed. There's there's those little nice touches and just his general annoyance, but he's mostly playing it straight, which is very odd, considering the movie almost seems desperate for some comedy to lighten up
1: the events. It made a lot of sense whenever I read that he based his performance on Basil Fawlty, (laughs) which, again, it makes sense because he's playing to a completely different kind of comedy that the movie doesn't support, so it's kind of just a dude. So, God, I love 90s Angelica Houston so much. What a force of nature that woman was. Just being the green goblin in this movie. <laughs>
3: So if we can go back to the idea of, oh, spooky paintings, uh, to kind of the timelessness of the movie. That's one of the most, like, charming qualities, I think, of any Roald Dahl uh, adaptation. Because if you look at his other movies, like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, Matilda, the Fantastic Mr. Fox, they all seem like they're in the past, they're retro. But you can't nail down exactly when they are. Or it doesn't feel like you could because they don't quite behave the way you'd expect for that time. And they all somehow override the director's vision to come off feeling like, oh, that's a doll story. It's, It's very strange to me how it's not just, you know, the story on the stage. It all feels like someone else is pulling the strings, even if they're not actually involved. Maybe that's because each one of his movies has to have, like, this son of a bitch. We hate you, Bruno.
2: <laughs> Bruno's really is the worst.
3: He's not great. He's basically the fat German kid from Willy Wonka.
1: If only there was a song about his demise.
3: <laughs> I'm also, sure there
1: was at some point. Also, not to, to, to get off topic, but I'm kind of in awe because I, as many times as I've watched this movie, I've never noticed that the Witch in White is removing the little girl's soul from the painting so she doesn't have to grow old and that's seeding her face turn at the end of the movie i've never noticed that how oh, is that what she's doing
2: oh holy shit see that makes I... that
1: slightly less random
2: yeah i
3: see okay so i was confused by the the heel turn at the end the most i could get out of it was angelica houston basically scolds her at some point and she goes fine i quit and she's one of the few spared because she quits and doesn't have the soup. So I don't know. I thought it was just some weird form of spiting the dead. Like, that'll teach him. I'll undo her last spell, because fuck you, corpse. I guess she was just oh, she was a mole. She was just doing a really <laughs> ineffective job of saving all the children
1: in England. She was part of the Glenda Brigade. <laughs> Okay, I think like three people are going to know what I'm saying whenever I bring this up. But I get such strong mouse and the motorcycle vibes from this movie. Especially because of the hotel.
2: There's something oddly specific about childhood in regards to roaming around a hotel.
1: Yeah, like the those Johnston days.
3: The Tower of Terror. So many good times in hotels.
2: Well, oh, that's how I um I met the El- the Elvira pinball machine. So.
1: <laughs> that oh, thing no, that, that, formed, that formed your childhood.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Back to those damn cigars, Grandma. What's your problem?
1: They were actually being uh, kind to the boy when they said it was diabetes. It's actually a light case of a lung cancer. It's just a light one, a sprinkling of cancer.
2: Those that, that, those uh, cigars, cigars actually cancer. fight off radiation poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> two, How do I feel two, like the two, grandmother and Krampus exists purely because of this character?
1: It's just oh my! The same I, grandma. She had a separate family. I could actually see that being a pull from Doherty. I could totally see that.
3: It's kind of weird, actually, how many people don't say this is an inspiration for horror. Because I, I feel like we're to the point now. This was 1990. Young filmmakers had to have grown up and seen this movie and had it probably scar them for
4: life.
1: <sighs> oh, this this movie traumatized me as a kid. It's like I I had nightmares for years. <laughs> just
3: there's certain parts of it that are so freaky. The painting at the beginning really got me. Uh, but later on when we see Angelica Houston's face on a wall <sighs> that she has Ugh. to put on, that 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 really got me. And there's a very similar scene in Return to Oz that was terrifying, like when the Evil Queen has just the Hall of Severed Heads. Oh god, and they start screaming. Yeah, that stuff was terrifying. And I you know, you kinda of forget about the movies after a while, but those stick with you. You don't attach them to their source, but you just know <laughs> that's somewhere lurking in the back of your head giving you nightmares.
1: What's weird is my mind made like the the convention scene so much more horrifying. <laughs> I, I just for my entire life, I distinctly remember them ripping their fingernails off when they're after they pull off the wigs. Oh. That's not in the movie at all. That's oh. always been in my head.
3: I mean, that's how it works. For kids, their imagination is so strong. They're going to see them pulling faces off and just go like, oh god, even worse stuff is happening.
2: Well, like I said, this movie didn't like, exist for me outside of a single VHS that I watched over and over again for a brief period, so it, it images and bits and pieces of this movie became this weird melded together fever dream like throughout my entire life, where I couldn't quite place where certain uh, horrifying images came from that would like flash in my brain. It's like, what the fuck was that soup scene from? What was it, the face thing? What, <laughs> did I make all of this up? What, where is this coming from? I'm Am I misremembering an American tale?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> that trippy scene where they all have LSD and imagine their live action. So uh, I, Most of the doll stories action. really are pretty much horror stories anyways. They just have different veneers over them. This is probably the closest any of his okay. adaptations got to just being flat-out horror. Like, everyone already talks about how scary the Willy Wonka film is, especially the boat scene. But if you look at that premise, it's it's more or less a slasher film. They're just a group of kids in a spot they don't belong, getting killed off in creative ways one by one for their transgressions. Willy Wonka even has like an iconic outfit that he does all this in. Uh, it's, it's one step away from just being flat out a horror movie. Uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox is like a siege film, like a home invasion thing. The animal families are trapped underground as the farmers try to break in and murder them. It's it's like three script updates away from just becoming the Strangers.
1: God, look at Matilda, which is just flat out a movie about child abuse.
3: Right. (laughs) And amazingly, all these stories that are so dark and seem like something that children would flat out reject, kind of survive because of that. They're they're jarring and they're upsetting and. I think kids are into it because of those qualities.
1: Yeah, I'm fascinated by the uh, subgenre in children's literature of deeply unpleasant writers who didn't care for children but wrote children's books anyway. So they're just all about children being dismembered. <laughs> it's like Edward Gorey, Roald Dahl, Dr. Seuss to an extent. But that's the stuff kids identify with, oddly. This is how I enter all meetings, by the way. (laughs) Ta da! I don't think in her career, Angelica Houston had more fun than playing this character.
3: Uh, she did an interview about this film, and she kind of borrowed some of the costuming techniques for a Halloween party and just scared a bunch of kids of, like, a family friend or something. <laughs> and she said it was wonderful, like, it was her favorite thing. She said there was nothing better than making children scream. And I think she's right. Having worked one time at a haunted house, it's ah. the best. It's it's so good. Also, God, everything <laughs> happening now makes me unhappy.
1: I feel like this is what Republicans imagine when they think of trans women meeting together. Like, we all just rip off our wigs and start plotting against the children. We're
4: oh going God. to put
1: chemicals in soup to make them all gay. She's she saying stuff about Hillary Clinton? No. Oh, God, this is the most disgusting witch. That is... Far none. I am still blown away by how fucking incredible this makeup job is. This is just real. Oh yeah, Yeah, it's
3: it's as grotesque as like any werewolf transformation. This is legitimately terrifying, and it's such an iconic way to present witches. Because normally, witches you get like the cartoon version that are just kind of lumpy and green, or you get the more modern versions where it's just like they do dark magic, but they look fine. This one goes the full Monty. Like, oh, uh, there's that giant beak nose, the hanging jowls, the chin whiskers, the weird. I don't even know how to describe the rumpled skin there. Everything about this is just disgusting and freakish. The long, super extended fingers.
1: Ugh. The humpback. The back <laughs> freaks me out.
4: <laughs>
1: That's what I love so much about the. Uh... Jock and Scott Snyder graphic novel Witches there's like the the first people in forever to just say no witches are monsters make them monsters <laughs> just just make a horror movie with some witches it you don't have to do much else i think part of the
3: problem with witches is you get that conflation of they're ugly on the outside therefore they're evil that a lot of people go for which is like <laughs> it's a terrible message if you happen to be ugly, you're not necessarily evil, but witches present that idea that all witches are ugly and evil, so they're they're related. And I think they tried to twist that by like, what if we just made witches sexy? Then they could be evil
1: and ugly inside. And then we open up a minefield there. <laughs> yeah, witches of all like of all the monsters that have stuck with us, witches are kind of the diciest to do uh a m yeah, nowadays I feel Well, even the general premise of
3: "Hey, it's a woman with more knowledge and power than a man." They're evil. Yeah, I mean, in this case, though, these witches are so 2D evil, like you can't really draw into any political allegory. I think with them seriously, these are clearly just movie monsters. Oh,
2: they're just monsters.
1: And you have uh, the grandmother as an anti-witch, which I think uh, I think helps that tremendously. Yeah. Like it's not a bunch of men getting together to burn the woman who knows too much. It's very much somebody who rep- a woman who represents the old world battling the monsters of the old world, which I think is very cool. Yeah. Let's take a moment to
3: just appreciate how much Houston is acting her ass off underneath all this latex. <laughs> like, she, her hand movements are just so extreme... And her, she's really moving her face around a lot because that latex has got to be constrictive. But she's she's selling it and making the character feel alive. It's not just putting the effects out the the CG or the the sorry the latex out there and letting it stand for itself. She's giving it all the life. She's really doing a lot of work here, and it's so hard. You hear guys like Doug Jones talk about this and how much they have to work to get their emotions through. She makes it seem almost easy.
2: Ironically, this was made today. That would be Doug Jones.
1: (laughs) No doubt.
4: And he would
1: be sexy AF. I wasn't kidding when I said this is basically uh, Angelica Houston as the Green Goblin. I want to see an actor play the Green Goblin with the full Green Goblin look and give this type of performance. (laughs) That would make me so happy. (laughs) And
3: as as long as I you can't take your eyes off the Grand High Witch. It's impossible. So let's just take a second to appreciate Jim Henson's creature shop and boy. Their concept artist here knocked it out of the park. Just so gnarly. Apparently it took somewhere between six to seven hours to do this full makeup. So at least it was worth it.
4: It it's <laughs> blind for the ages. Magic.
1: I just want to yell that at anyone who ever pull, pulls out a plot hole in a movie like this. <laughs> it's amazing that this is really the only scene you get to see her in this makeup, and yet it feels like this is the entire movie. And in a certain way, this kind of is the entire movie. Anytime time you mention the the witches. Everybody immediately thinks of this scene. Oh,
3: yeah. Well, following this, it's hijinks with Luke running around as a mouse that I, I completely forget about every time I go back to the movie in my mind. It's this scene followed up by
1: the transformation scene at the very end. There, there, The rest is just filler in my mind. I adore this movie, but I do agree it is very top-heavy.
2: Yeah, there's just a lot of hijinks in the middle, and that's just hijinks. That's
4: it.
1: play
4: with that thing god
3: it's it's so fascinating though that they don't bother trying to explain or give a logical reason for why the witches hate children it just goes along with that fairy tale idea that witches and children are natural enemies they're cats and dogs or maybe more accurately cats and mice it's how it is and you have to be afraid of them because the world's got dangerous stuff out there for kids
2: Oh, well, it's funny how much more effective things are. We don't stop the plot to explain things that don't matter.
3: The Grand High Witch's mother was killed by a
1: child who threw water on her by mistake. <laughs> I like to think it's because it's the same reason that Darkness hated the Unicorn in Legend. Innocence! <laughs> God, High Witch and Darkness would bang so hard.
4: I'm sure they Power did. Cable.
1: I want to make a fucking YouTube video now of her pulling off the mask to reveal that. And it just cuts to darkness like, oh, sexy music. (laughs) Like what the Vince McMahon meme
3: where he's just leaning back further and further in his chair. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, the director was I read uh, some comments from him about this and. He showed a rough cut of it to his son, or his son watched a rough cut, and was so terrified he ran behind the TV and couldn't watch anymore. And when that happened, he realized he had to cut some of the scarier elements out so children wouldn't be traumatized. His reasoning was, if you tell a kid a scary story and they get freaked out, you can just stop reading. But if you're in a movie theater and something scary happens, the kid is more or less trapped there, and they feel like they're stuck watching it, and the parent normally doesn't want to leave because they paid good money to watch this thing and drove there. So he didn't want to hold anyone hostage to his shenanigans, but his compromise, he said, was that he took out scary elements and then made the grand witch sexier, <laughs> which is a very weird way to go with all this. What if we made Angelica Houston sexier in our kids' horror movie? That'll make up for the lack
2: of startling bits. We'll turn the kids on. That'll balance it out.
1: <laughs> They'll be a lot about and me.
2: Ugh. Ugh.
3: Oh, the face. That rubber face with the eyes in it, too.
1: Am I the only one who was always really freaked out by the mask and Mrs. Doubtfire? Maybe because of this movie?
3: <laughs> I mean, that was creepy, but it, it, I never made the connection. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> How do you think German people icon. feel about Angelica Houston basically doing a super over the top German accent for this thing? <laughs>
2: I think they're this used to a right. lot by now. Oh, not again! Come here, Uta. Now <laughs> oh, be careful! I'm full of chocolate.
1: This does have the same tone as that one treehouse of war.
2: It really <laughs> does. Holy shit!
1: You, you might say we have Uta inside of us right now.
4: <laughs>
3: Uh-huh. Uh, the one kid they should have just killed. This is like him and his parents. It would have been fine. They just wiped that family
4: out.
1: I love children in old movies describing sweets and chocolates and delicious things. It feels Everything. like kids were made. <laughs> it feels like they were way more woke about what they ate than were the kids today.
3: Apparently, Dahl heavily objected when the book came out to Americanizing those terms. He demanded that candy was called sweets because that's how he wrote it but he did he did give up like uh lifts were changed to elevators in the book for some reason he's fine with that and he was very upset by the idea of calling a tuna fish sandwich a tuna fish sandwich demanded it be called a fish paste <laughs> which also, also made
1: his way into the movie <laughs> also no one defends hitler in this movie what's the deal with that strange <laughs> the
2: also,
3: it, no one's paying attention to the kid behind the dressing ball. Like, he's been rattling it, you can clearly see his eyes, he's making noise, he's chasing rats. It's the worst sneaky
1: child ever. And another doll scene with burping. Man loved his burps. It is funny how much oh, this God. fears the cake scene from Matilda. Entire confection, Cody.
3: Uh, so we have this terrifying effect, but listen to the music. (laughs) This is what I was talking about before, where it's like upbeat, funny music, even though this is the worst horrifying thing I've ever seen in my goddamn life. And I think they realized this when they were making like, how do we soften the edges here? How can we play against what we were going for?
1: Could you imagine if Hammer music was playing right now? Oh, Christ. (laughs) I never would have recovered.
2: It reminds me so much of the Joe Dante uh, Twilight Zone.
1: Okay, you were thinking that too, because that's all I could think rewatching this. Like,
2: who stole from who there? Yeah. <laughs>
1: About the same time. Uh, I think the Twilight Zone movie was slightly later?
3: Or it might have just been one of those, like, deep impact Armageddon situations.
2: No, Twilight Zone movie should have been earlier, shouldn't it? Uh, to the
3: internet. The uh, internet. To no, wait, Uh, 1983. That early?
1: I could have sworn yeah. that was like 88, maybe. Yeah, 83, yeah. Weird.
2: Damn, Spielberg like did the later. can early.
4: Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, now all I can think is I think this is a long shot, but do you feel like the performance of Dr. Poison in Wonder Woman was a little bit inspired by <laughs> the voice. The delivery is, is very somewhere. similar.
4: <laughs> they
1: I don't feel like Houston's that.
2: performance has influenced a lot.
3: <laughs> this, this, I don't know. There's so many people I feel like who have never seen this movie. It's crazy. Because it, it was horrifying as hell to me as a kid. But if I mentioned this to most of my friends, they would go, what now? And I could like show them the cover art and they'd be like, I don't recognize this. What is this? They've probably never seen it, at least if they have, they've blanked it out,
0: which is so surprising to me because in my
3: mind, this is one of the most terrifying moments of my childhood.
2: Same. You see this come up in so many lists, but I, I think for a lot of people, it's something they saw when they were a kid. It terrified them, and they just never went back to it. I think a lot of people don't know like, what movie the memory of this movie is from.
1: No, oh, it's and it, just something that's gone to the collective unconscious, like Slender yeah. Man.
3: Well, and the studio doesn't do anything to promote this film either. Like, I had to pick this up to rewatch it, and I was forced by a DVD that had zero features on it because the studio didn't want to bother, you know, making a Blu-ray or a new feature DVD or anything. They they oh. put it out, but it feels like they were mad about it. Oh, this movie fucking ate shit at the box office, didn't it? <laughs> I feel like when a movie does that, they have to put it on the box so I know. <laughs> Like, instead of a nice quote from some newspaper you've never heard of, it just says, ate shit and died at the box office. Please love me. It's just Bruce Campbell shrugging his shoulders. <laughs> Sometimes they get away from you.
1: No, she is led down by the diabetes.
2: <laughs> God, you, know, you know what's brought up more? Watch her in the woods.
1: God, speaking of, man, I flipped out a couple of weeks ago. I, I somehow was unaware until we got the DVD in at work, they remade Watcher in the Woods with Angelica Houston on the Lifetime channel, directed by Melissa Jumbo. Yep. By Clarissa. Most random confluence of things ever.
3: Do you you think the scene-inspired Kung Pao enter the fist? (laughs) Bye-bye, baby rolls down the hill. Also, actually God, the untouchables.
2: We were just talking about it a dark moment. This is the casualness of, oh, a baby, let's murder it.
3: That'll give me what I want. And the most she, oh God, in the close of the baby crying, the, the most she reacts to it is, oh, this thing smells bad. Oh, they're so
0: happy. <laughs> baby murder.
2: Oh, wait, potentially, um, <laughs> <laughs> potentially a controversial statement. Watcher in the woods, boring.
1: I've never actually seen it. Neither have I. I feel like a lot of people, it's weird, a lot of people haven't seen it. They just bring it up because it's felt like the signature movie of that trend. Dark Disney. Uh, Which I would argue, while not a Disney movie, if you're going to pinpoint a signature movie of that movement, something wicked this way comes.
4: Oh, I just
1: picked
3: that up at uh, Target today. I've got the uh, DVD to look forward to sometime this month. Oh-ho. Oh, that's a treat,
2: man.
4: You're uh, have well, fun. if I
3: don't like it, I'll just go right back to Blackbeard's Ghost.
2: Just close your <laughs> eyes on the spider scene.
3: I assume it's 90%
1: Spider-Seam. scene.
2: <laughs> it is to me.
1: There is slightly more Pam Greer than you'd expect. Hmm. My expectations were zero Pam Greer, so, wow. <laughs>
4: Thirty-five, forty, forty-five. 45. <laughs> Bring out the
1: sacrificial table. This was so scary when I was five. Look at this. Look at this murder scene. Look at the third act of Gangs of New York just happening here. Heart? This boy has no heart. <laughs> well, we go back to that idea, too. The grandma's out of commission, so now he has no
3: parents to look after him. That, that, Covenant has been broken, and there's no sanctuary left.
1: It's like Dracula Van Helsing just passed out drunk outside for the second act.
3: <laughs> Don't give him ideas. I'll do a great remake of Dracula where like, Van Helsing gets high on dope and then just crashes in a gutter somewhere.
1: No, that's Seaward's job.
3: No, he does the same thing in the sanitarium. Everyone just like has morphine or something they're overdosing on. Now look at that kid getting down.
4: <laughs> Thriller in the night.
3: So normally we, we bemoan the use of CGI over practical effects. That was a cool shot. Uh, but in this case, I think CGI would have been less terrifying than the mouse puppets they used in their place. Oh. Yeah. There's something about this mouse puppet, the way it can move his arms like a human and talk, but it's a real fuzzy thing moving unnaturally. It just,
1: I don't like it.
2: I find it oddly adorable.
1: Uncanny Valley is always discussed when it comes to humans, but there's definitely an uncanny valley with animals, I feel. Super Mouse Runaway.
2: (laughs)
3: <laughs> it's it's much better when it's just a real mouse. I don't have a problem with that. As soon as it turns into a puppet, it's like, Oh, God, they should kill it. It's unnatural.
1: It's the fact that the talking is so realistic.
3: But the what? eyes
4: don't blink. Just black, dead eyes.
2: British mice, too. <laughs> and that's weird.
1: I have to say, I really wish this kid was drowned in a mop bucket (laughs) by his father, like in the book. I
3: saw that on Wikipedia, and I'm like,
1: that has to just be a dark fan theory, right? Once again, every children's book author hates children. That's why they make their living off of them like parasites. (laughs) I love that noir shot of the house there.
2: <laughs> wow, 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 wow! I how everything with the puppets are filmed. Uh,
3: there's some surprisingly neat shots in here. Oh, they do kind of blank. Weird. They just have dead eyes. Um, <laughs> like the, the the shots of the camera sinking down through the sweater. Like that's a that's a really neat POV shot. If this were a modern film, it'd be done in 3D, so you'd really get that sense of oh,
0: depth of field.
3: And it would be Jack Black who was shrinking down. Oh, God. Jack Black would be, like, the first guy to be stepped on by one of the witches.
1: No, not cool, man.
3: (laughs) Oh, God, it looks... It reminds me of the Rodents of Unusual Size from Princess Bride. (laughs) Well, but... So now we hit kind of the lull in the movie in my mind. was like, fuck, okay. Uh, They're
1: mice. Yeah. Another 40 minutes of this before I can go home. Uh, I call this the we don't have enough money to do the monster effects twice portion of the film.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Going back to the puppets, uh, another thing that I really enjoy about what Henson was able to pull off was the scale of the puppets. It's hard to do an effect like that without making the um, the animals seem you know human size essentially yeah. the puppet still feels like it's the size of a mouse
3: yeah there's a couple of really good examples of that, but when they normally do it right, it's not even just force perspective they're making gigantic sets of yeah was it the uh the gateway where all the monsters are like actual guys in monster suits, but they're portraying monsters that are like a foot tall. So they just made a bedroom that's like 40 feet tall and put some stuff close to the camera to fill in the rest of the set. It can be done, but you got to really Peter Jackson, this stuff uh, nowadays, you know, it'd just be so much easier because you you would basically just put them in front of a green screen or something and then interject them into a pre-film scene. But they didn't have It's the 90s, 1990s, the very start of the 90s. They're running off of an 80s tech here. It's only a
1: couple of years after Ghostbusters. (laughs) Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, and Watchmen are how (laughs) I gauge time in the
4: 80s.
1: (laughs) But yeah, if I didn't know that that was technically impossible i would have just assumed they made the world's tiniest animatronics
3: they had i, I looked in this not long enough um they they used several different size of models depending on the shot i think there was one that was like human size for when they really needed fine movement and then there were some that were like close to mouse size for when they need something in scale And, you know, the bigger the puppet, basically, the more they could do with it. So they they had three different versions they could play around with. And hell if I know the difference between them. Obviously, that's a real mouse.
1: So that one's easy to tell.
2: Allegedly.
1: Allegedly. So the drama between Rowan Atkinson and these
4: maids. (gasps) <gasps> those eyes
2: always freak me out as a kid.
4: That feels, like
2: some...
4: that feels
1: like something from like a Polanski movie, doesn't it? It yeah. seems super fucking 70s horror. Like it's the omen.
2: <laughs> Maybe they're all just all Nexus 7.
3: They do all need to be put down, so it works. I do appreciate in this movie we don't have a gigantic subplot about Luke finding out he's on his own because no one believes him. They just made it very direct. Yes, he can talk. Yes, everyone can hear him. He's not speaking mouse to humans. Mm -hmm. Uh, Grandma just rolls with it. She understands there are witches. She truly believes that. And she believes Luke. It's nice. Mm -hmm. It allows you to just get on with the picture. because. We don't have to spend all this time. Will they? Won't they believe each other? Who knows? How will they get around this? They just remove the language barrier and keep going.
1: God knows we don't need to dance around the plot more. <laughs> right. It does raise the question, what if their plan had succeeded? Then we just would have had a lot of really frustrated kids trying to teach mice about puberty. <laughs>
3: I well, as soon as they transform someone into a mouse, they shout, kill them. So I think their plan was it's just easier to squish a mouse than it is squishing a child. Like, they would need anvils if they were going to squish children, but mice, they can just step on them.
2: Oh, this plot, This uh, their grand plan is pretty much up there with silver shamrocks. <laughs> <laughs> just bears, magic. Turn them into mice and step on them. Sh- shamrocks is get them in front of the TV.
3: Again, you can write off most of this for the fact that it goes with that fairy tale logic of you just have to respect that the witches are 100% for killing children. They don't have logic for it. It's just their role. And it it kind of becomes strange morality play where I, I guess kids are supposed to find their independence while still respecting their elders, but not enough that it prevents them from growing.
2: Let me be honest. I don't know what the message of this film is. It's fucking terrifying.
3: It kind of, yeah, it's it's a little tough to tell. Uh, the messages run. kill the messages Run, <laughs> all of them witches.
1: So I just feel like this kid's dad is waiting in the wings to inform Jason Alexander that his four-star hotel just became a one-star hotel, <laughs> and that will be the last Dunstan checks in reference you're going to get from me. This commentary. You say
3: That's that right. now. There's a
1: lot of time left.
2: They still have to formulate their plan.
3: I guess also when they were making this doll, originally had the grandmother as a much more Obi-Wan Kenobi type character, just telling Luke how they were going to handle things. And they kind of came back to him. The publishers came back and they had some suggestions like, what if he he took those into consideration? He switched it around. The grandma kind of became a coward or at least not as influential. And Luke really was the one to come up with the plan and the actions. Which is interesting. It gives him a lot more agency.
1: I kind of feel like in the film, we get a nice 50-50 split there.
4: The grandma spends a lot
3: of time being afraid and not wanting to do things. That's the diabetes, Cody. That's the diabetes talking. Whereas Luke is is insane in this one. He's like, I'm (laughs)
0: glad to be a mouse now! Throw me to the cats, grandmama!
2: Luke becomes a living cartoon character very quickly.
1: As I feel we all would if we were small. <laughs> I just love the shots of the cat where it's
3: clearly not angry, and then they just put into, like, Wrrow! noises to, to cover that
2: up. Lion roars for no reason. mm <laughs> This really is the closest I think we'll ever get to them deciding, let's do a Looney Tunes movie in live action where they're not animated, they're puppets.
1: (laughs) Incredible shrinking man, child. Mouse. That is a movie eight-year-old Jamie would have ate up with a goddamn spoon.
2: Live action, Tom and Jerry?
1: No, live action Sylvester and Tweety, just making everybody uncomfortable.
4: (laughs) Making how me question my
1: sexuality this. more.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Damn it, grandma, you could have just walked to the basement floor and dropped the mouse off. No, it has to be whimsical. <laughs> Witches have to harm children with magic. Old vaguely dramatic grandmas have to be whimsical. <laughs> there are rules.
4: You have to follow the rules.
2: The Krampus.
1: It is my head, Kenna, Now this kid grows up to be the de- uh, to be Adam Scott. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's
1: why he's so down with battling the Krampus. He's he's been here. He he knows the darkness of the world. It seems like such a,
3: a bold choice for Rogue to do this movie. Because one, you're working with kids for like ninety percent of the movie, and the other. No, it's a 50-50. It's like 50% kids. The other 50% is, here, film this elaborate mouse training sequence. Like, Here's you're like working with animals and, and animals. children. Yeah. And Ugh. terrifying masks. And Why does she have
2: multiples?
3: <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to chance it. I'd have, like, eight masks just in case. It's like Dracula. He's got nine coffins. He's, he's smart about things. I saw the way you were looking at Morticia god i just don't like how this briefly becomes the texas chainsaw massacre with that face lying around her spare face just in case the other one gets dusty maybe there's like she keeps one for the summer that's got a little more tan on it and then another one for winter
1: she's like stand, it well like oh give me my frowning face <laughs> i need my surprised eyebrows
2: I think Luke saying grandma is just forever burned into my brain.
1: <laughs> uh, I want to sample that in a rap song along with uh, the kid from Troll saying
2: Grandpa!
1: <laughs> you can make some great, great vaporwave music out of that, I bet.
2: <laughs> Crossover.
1: Oh god, I'm sure Nilbog wave is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> if not. Fun fact, uh
3: Jason Fisher, the boy who played Luke, also was in Hook. His filmography is like three movies, so it's his pretty Uh he played Ace, oh. one of the Lost Boys. Uh he was also in Parenthood as Kevin. If anyone remembers he was Kevin. He was Kevin. Those were his three acting credits.
2: Really glad when Marv killed him. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Well, enough with Ugh. the face gags. I can't oh that's the that's the one that gets me.
3: I bet like the forty minutes of cut I'm making up a number, I don't know how much it's cut. <laughs> Let's just say forty minutes of cut disturbing material was all just Angelica Houston running around with her fake face. Like accidentally dropping it in soup and
1: putting it on people. That's a horror movie I would see Just somebody with a face Oh wait that was Death of the Family Wasn't it (laughs) There's the Joker with a face Also this happenstance is Incredible I just opened up YouTube To see if Troll Wave was a thing And at at the top of my feed Movie Bob just posted the first video Of Schlocktober 2018 Troll <laughs> the original Troll or Troll 2, the original Troll, ah. which is overlooked as a ridiculous bad movie. I feel. It's yeah, screen
3: factory put both of them out in double feature and it's like, boy, after watching those back to back, I just wanted to
1: die.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, that's the that's the blurb that needs to be on the DVD with <laughs> Bruce Campbell shrugging his shit. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that apple was three stories tall. I'm making that up, but I'd like to imagine it
4: was. So I yeah, Bruno
2: to... has the better ears. <laughs>
4: he does. Very
1: emotive. So I regret to inform you, Nilbog wave is not a thing yet. I'd say that means you got to make it.
3: Them's the internet rules. Oranges look terrifying up close. Look at that weird, pitted, tumor-filled thing.
2: The weirdest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origin story ever. And the award for worst parents in the world go to... Every parent in this film.
3: We have a child at some point. I don't know. Time to go get drinks.
1: I just feel like he's going to grow up as an adult to be the principal from Ferris <laughs> Bueller's Day Off.
2: <laughs> That's who he was reminding me of.
1: Like, it looks like he was supposed to be played by Eric Idle, but they had to recast the last moment. <laughs>
2: But they had a life cast that they needed to match up.
4: <laughs> Bill
3: Patterson, what else have you done in your life? He's an actor-writer. Anyone's curious. Uh, Let's start with the 90s, because that's when this came out. He oh. looks
1: like he's about to eat something gross in an early Peter Jackson film.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no pudding! He was on some TV
3: series called The Ghostbusters of East Finchley. That's a sequel I want to see Go on Uh, He was Brian in the movie Spice World (laughs) That's awesome Uh, What else do we have here A lot of TV shows I've never heard of A lot of movies I've never heard of Um, He was in a TV version of Othello So that's some cred Although he played a character called
1: Sinclair Carver Which does not ring a bell in my mind for Othello I, I just assumed he was Othello it is a British production, after all. Also, these uh, are the stupidest parents in movie history. Oh, incredibly dumb.
3: Oh, shit. He was in Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, <laughs> He played a bishop in the director's cut, so I'm assuming he didn't make it into the theatrical version. Did you say, it
1: turns out this is Edward Norton.
3: <laughs> he was in something called Sherlock Holmes and the Baker Street Irregulars, which also sounds like a band name. Here we go, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People he is Richard Young.
1: That is a film I have heard of. Film Me. You're just sending Mike into uh Vietnam flashbacks right now. Uh uh he was in he was in uh two episodes of Doctor Who. In
3: twenty ten, uh the Pandora opens and Victory of the Daleks, he played a character called Bracewell.
1: I vaguely remember that, yeah.
3: I remember those episodes. I don't remember anyone named Bracewell, but I haven't seen those in years. I
2: like the name Bracewell.
3: Yeah. Um, He was in Dirk Gently, the the new series that got canceled recently, I think.
1: Oh, did that get canceled? Damn.
3: Oh, maybe. No, I'm sorry. This is from season two, but it's like season one, but it's from 2012. So this must be a different Dirk Gently. They've made like four of them. They just keep going. Yeah, this was a different one. I'm sorry, everyone at home. I'll resign from my post immediately. Okay, Bill Patterson has been in like 130-some things, and I've heard of five of them. (laughs) They're all very British. Uh, His
1: next project is Happy New Year, Colin (laughs) Burstead. Speaking of British? (laughs) I do feel like that is the most British actor thing in the world, just being in 500 films, three of them seen. Well, outside of, you know,
3: your home country. It's not very fair, because in America, we force everyone to watch our stuff, but we don't necessarily watch any of theirs. And again, we're holding all the Marvel cards, so suck it over <laughs> the rest <of> the world.
1: <laughs> oh, the Infinity Movies.
3: Darn it, we're only gonna take nine more pirates of the Caribbean before we revolt America.
1: <laughs> also there's so much talk about Harrison Ford's finger of doom, but not enough love is given to Angelica Houstons. <laughs> which ends in a point which makes it scarier.
4: <laughs> Rainbow. Rainbow.
1: <laughs> Also, <laughs> oh, we we missed it, but uh, the delay in subtitles reminded me This movie has one of my favorite British-isms ever Are you crackers? Oh, I was going to mention that
3: Just because we had, uh, the other day when we were recording Someone read the line, he's gone yumpy
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Oh, so that's how they peel potatoes in an industrial setting huh. I learned something about food today I assume there's just one poor guy in the back with a peeler.
2: That's the way it should be, done, because then it's done with hate. (laughs) Potatoes (laughs) taste better with hate. I like them with the skins on.
1: Some of my worst memories of childhood are being forced to peel potatoes for what seemed like hours and days.
2: I ever peel a jicama?
1: No, I think you've made that up.
2: Kind of a bitch.
1: Was that like a fancy Maryland potato?
2: Hey, come on! No, it's Mexican, Spanish, Uh-oh. technically.
1: I've got
3: nothing. I have never heard of this. I don't know.
2: Really? You can apparently get them at an they only, store.
3: Apparently, they only import them to your grocery
2: stores. <laughs> Jicama is um, uh, very good. It's um, much denser than, than uh potato. It's actually a root, but uh has a sweetness to it. It's very delectable. You can actually get them in a lot of salads. If, you, if there's ever, ever anything that's uh, very thin and white, but uh, very crunchy in a salad, you're technically eating jicama.
1: Oh, I don't eat salads. As you've noted before, you prefer to drink.
4: <laughs>
1: I mean, even
3: if someone took a salad And blended it into a drink I would not want that
1: salad. Too, many, too many leafy greens Ah, oh, that's the best part, Cody I hate lettuce Lettuce is an acquired taste But it's
3: one I've come to really love If I had to pick between eating Angelica Houston's discarded human face <laughs> And lettuce I would go for the face what It would be salt? an
1: honor to Eat that <laughs> face I like tomatoes. Well, this is horrifying to me. He's about to get boiled alive,
2: right? Fucking live-action ratatouille.
4: He's
3: very tiny, too, so I imagine that, like, happens much faster.
2: How she sips from that spoon bothers me.
3: (laughs) Well, she's a witch, right? So, they're nasty. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Let me put
1: this back in.
2: I like her Jalo fucking raincoat here.
1: (laughs) It does look like she's about to go into a sinister academy. I mean, they are having a forbidden affair in the middle of this kids movie that's like the most pointless B-plot ever. Uh, That's fucking Moonrise Kingdom all over again. (laughs)
4: Dun dun dun.
3: <laughs> it just feels like such a weird go nowhere plot bit. Also, dear God, uh. just chop the tail off this child mouse.
2: I love this chef so goddamn
3: much. He just—he's <laughs> so dedicated to stirring. He'll he never stop. He just keeps
2: going. He won't stop.
3: It really the feels like this was. On. This was the Atkinson role, and then, like, (laughs) they're just like, well, fuck it, we can't put him in the two-second stirring bit. Give this something else.
1: I forgot that Atkinson continues stirring.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And a dick Dick joke. Dick jokes. The distaste.
3: There's nothing much in there, dickless.
2: I like how that was um, a cook's version of the uh, the band still playing on the Titanic.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Pleasure cooking with you, sir. <laughs> he just
1: he just looks like he's gonna have something unfortunate poured on him as the last mitten button to a Monty Python scene.
3: I've never seen a man so annoyed about soup. <laughs> like, he's he's pouring it out of his spoon, like, oh, the soup is too soupy.
1: This guy should have become a mouse. They should have just blew him up. I was if... going to invite you over for a cuppa, but I guess it's all a laugh, isn't it?
3: <laughs> Bruno's... Bruno should be an orphan. He'd be better off.
1: Well, uh, the the grandmother and the kid adopt him later, and he grows up to be David Keckner.
2: Everything that happens here terrifies me.
0: See, to me, it's
3: far less terrifying when it happens here, because it's over so quick. Although, when they kill her, dear God. (laughs) God. The little bit of green mist that comes out of there, the sound effect of just that wet plop. The green goo on the ground. It's so gross. It's not just like, oh, she's gone. No, they it's like crushing a cockroach. It's so disturbing.
1: And that was a person a second ago. She had dreams. Witches don't have dreams.
3: (laughs) The stakes in this movie are terrifying. This could be all of England.
1: (laughs) And America would do nothing.
4: (laughs)
2: I oh, love the chef just having come back from Vietnam he's having a
3: hard day quick you get got, him a potato to peel He got pants in front of everyone
2: did the souffle make it no
1: also that is, that is the most English thing ever chasing your stress wine with tea <laughs>
3: I like how they basically have already resolved the plot at this point. Everyone's been poisoned. They're going to die. So they're like, how do we make this more tense? Oh, right. Bruno's shitty parents have a Crest Soup coming. <laughs> we gotta, we got to resolve that situation. The witches are already dead. That's no longer a point. We can ignore them.
2: So what freaks you guys out more? Since the plot is kind of over technically. So what freaks you out more? Elderly people eating sandwiches or sipping soup?
3: Sipping Sipping soup. soup. 100% Uh, soup. I agree. Everything about this soup makes me want to never eat soup again, and I love soup. I think I was eating soup when I watched this movie to prepare for this commentary, and I'm like, great. There goes, like, three quarts of baked bean
1: soup. Uh
4: Yeah.
1: I am curious, this scene especially in the way it's shot heavily mirrors uh, the dinner transformation scene in Neil Jordan's Company of Wolves, I kind of wonder if that was an homage We'll assume yes, unless he notifies us otherwise (laughs) No, stop Don't
3: <laughs> That's how I would have resolved the situation. Oh no, wait. Oh, oh well, he's a mouse man
4: now. He is not back! I am not an animal! You
2: know, no post on Sundays.
4: Kind of am. Bruno?
2: Technically, I'll cost less money. You'll love me finally. Do you
4: love me finally? Papa?
3: What happens if a mouse eats the mouse soup? He becomes double
1: mouse. Double Double mouse. mouse. Jesus Christ. They're in (laughs) such pain. Ugh. And these who
3: effects, like they're all about to start singing about the Grinch.
4: <laughs> oh,
2: I, I, need I need an adult.
1: I feel like that's why uh, the Whos and gr- the How the Grinch Stole Christmas freaked people out so much when Ron Hour did that movie. It brought back subconscious memories of this.
3: <laughs> we all just collectively chose to forget we saw the witches. The movie actually made bank at the box office, and then they had to return the money as part of the ruse.
1: (laughs) I love Grandma's Van Helsing moment here. (laughs) Everyone at home can't see this,
3: but she was pointing at the screen having having her Van Helsing moment, and our subtitles are way off, so she's saying, like, Crest Soup, Table (laughs) 9. Which makes it seem so much more dramatic. Uh, and the most violent mouse transformation for last Uh, just the the noises Uh, she decides to make it's the
2: noises that really get me and those bulging eyes
3: and this weasel face get the mice, he can see there's still people and he's going after them with (laughs) carving knives the one in the wig, murder them
1: I cast you out of here, Stragoy. Ah, wish it away. Wish
0: it all away. God, die faster.
2: I believe in the Tooth Fairy.
0: God.
1: Ah, Jesus, it just won't die. When Edgar Frog says in The Lost Boys... All of them will try to take you with them. This is what I I picture. (laughs) It's the most nauseatingly long death scene ever. It really just
3: goes and goes and goes. It wasn't disturbing enough that everyone's turning into these terrifying mice now, though. They have to be smacked with brooms and explode. Kill her! Kill her quickly! End this, Grandma! Make the pain end!
4: No! We belong dead!
3: (laughs) (laughs) You have to destroy the fire now, Rowan. You have to light them
1: ablaze. He threw that rat. They are evil witches.
3: (laughs) It's one of the mice from Dead Alive. (laughs)
4: Sumerian rat
3: monkey. Or monkey rat, whatever it was. Sumatran rat monkey. Oh, God. And even worse, even worse, not only does it pop and explode, it lets out that weird little laugh, and you get that bit of goo he wipes off his face. It's such a not-gory detail, but that alone is enough to give me the heebie-jeebies.
1: The madness of this. (sighs) The dad rolls with it. This is like the one time he's a decent person. Strange. And then Stuart Little plays out in its entirety.
3: <laughs> God. Okay. So besides the oh, God, I don't like this puppet. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. It just creeps me out. Besides the terrifying effect scenes here and the girl in the painting. One of the other super disturbing parts of this is, of course, the ending where he mentions the fact that how long do mice live? I probably only have another couple of years. Oh, well. That idea that he just would die after, like, five more years because he's a mouse now and has a mouse's lifespan.
1: Well, that's what's so fucked up about Dahl's objection to the ending. He wanted them to keep the ending of the book where the boy... Just decides to stay a mouse co- so he can die with his grandmother because life without grandmama isn't worth living.
2: They film that, too.
1: Again, I just want to see that director's cut like just for adults. <laughs> well, I, I was doing some reading on that.
3: And even when he's writing the book, the publishers got back to him and kind of talked about like, well, what if he didn't turn back into a human? And he rolled with that idea, and he was kind of bummed out at the time because he said it left him open to a sequel, and he didn't like that idea at all. And yet when the movie comes out, <laughs> it wraps up the storyline actually makes it hard to do a sequel because now he's just a little boy again, and you don't have that hanging plot thread. And that pissed him off. There was no pleasing him.
1: Well, he was a monster. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry. This mouse boy is living large.
2: He did steal all that money. This is aggressively whimsical like suddenly. It's incredible. <laughs> like, hey, remember all that murder? Well, now I have a plane.
3: We're rich now, grandma. It was worth it to oh, murder rich, those witches.
2: rich as Nazis.
1: <laughs> okay, am I the only am I the only one fascinated by the fact that this technically has the same ending as Salem's Lot?
4: I kind of does, to yeah. yeah.
1: Just go door-to-door killing witches. Just Ben and his boy.
3: <laughs> grandma and her mouse. More disturbing. So from reading about the book, they mentioned that Luke is perfectly happy being a mouse because he'll, he figures he'll die in like nine years. And he's cool with that because he doesn't... Hey, Lego, he doesn't want to live longer than his grandma and he figures you know, she'll die probably like ten years or so. <laughs>
0: It's just, uh That's
3: a weird way to tell children to think about life.
2: And you Die know, At the same
3: time as your parents are guardians. She probably, what? Oh, they could have done it together. Like, she dies and falls forward and crushes him, so he pops.
2: <laughs> a week later, due to her diabetes.
3: Right. She's already screwed this up, like, twice. You guys remember these connector block things? Did you have this toy as a kid?
1: I had the connects, and I could never get them to work.
3: Uh. Those uh, gray and blue blocks that were just showing, I had a bunch of those as a kid. That was like, before I got Legos, I had a bunch of those to build things with. You're very (laughs) limited because they're essentially just construction beams, so you can only do so much. You can't make, maybe I wasn't creative enough, but you can only
1: do so much with them.
2: His bed looks so comfortable.
1: For some reason, stop motion sheets always look like the coziest thing in the world.
2: (laughs) Then he's living in the fucking real Ghostbusters playset.
1: Uh, He's (laughs) living the 90s dream. The most disturbing thing in this movie is that it has to die.
4: (laughs)
3: So I'm I'm glad they transform him back into a real boy, even though I forgot that happened until I rewatched this. But yes, this feels like such a weak add-on. Here's nice. her being the merciless ring. <laughs> yeah, a surprising
2: <laughs> twist.
3: She wasn't a bad witch at all.
2: Yeah, I completely forgot that he got turned back into a boy until rewatching this um, as an adult later in life.
3: I think most people just remember it that way. They remember him having this bummer of an ending. <laughs> Maybe he was running long for TV, so they had to cut out like this last scene. <laughs>
1: oh, this is just body horror. <laughs> I think he's
2: nude's weird to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think we like briefly get a shot of peen. It's really inappropriate.
4: Runs the window (laughs) naked!
0: My glasses, give me those! It's relatively huge now! Look at
1: me
2: twirl it! It's so weird, they film... I think they filmed both endings at the same time. But this is so... lazy, honestly? It's very odd to me. Despite the fact that they have the
1: line, oh, well, maybe we'll get one of the witches in America to turn you back. That's all they
2: need. It turned out I was one of the newer models. I made it.
3: Every, everything's fine now. We're okay. How are you? <laughs>
2: yeah. Credits. It was such a strange... Did they not go to America after that? Like, ah, fuck it.
4: Uh, they
3: still have all the money and the the book of names... There was a really gritty sequel that we're probably better off having not seen.
4: Hey,
2: Steve Norrington.
1: Oh, he did the makeup on the high, which I did not know that. Way to go, Blade Boy.
3: (laughs) Well, I have nothing to add except for I'm going to have nightmares when I try and sleep tonight. I'm just going
1: to imagine horrible mouse witches. But it's okay. They were defeated along with the rest of the British.
3: I don't know. I think that's why we never got the sequel. It'd been too depressing. They went to America and were immediately
1: shot down. Those witches <laughs> have guns. Special thanks to Rusty Lemorand and Eileen Mazel. Are those doll characters? <laughs> <laughs> okay. The super delayed credits just popped up with. I really am happy to be a mouse, you know. Over <laughs> the fucking copyright notice. <laughs> I, way to put a button on that. <laughs> That is,
3: I think, my favorite part of this rewatch, just seeing the credits pop up like five minutes after the fact.
2: I don't know what happened there, but whatever.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you have it, folks. That's been The Witches. Uh, You're welcome for the trauma. You just enjoyed that. If you would like more Box Office Pulp that's probably not as disturbing, but focused on R-rated content, uh, you can find us all over the internet. We're on Twitter under the handle Box Office Pulp. You can find us on Facebook. Stitcher, uh, Blogspot, just look Box Office Pulp and you'll be able to find us and all of our other commentaries and standalone episodes. And iTunes. There's that too. We're everywhere. Go ahead and go over there. Give us a nice review. Maybe some likes. Subscribe to us. It'd be dope. Anyways, folks, that's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. Oh shit, this one's for kids. Get the heck out of here. And that, that drink I mentioned before was all made up. It was made of raisin juice. Delicious, delicious raisin
0: juice. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater.
2: But seriously, um, a woman will snatch you and kill you in the night.
0: Oh, that happens to every kid.
2: Build character.
3: character. That's actually what puberty is. When someone talks about you going through puberty, it's your
2: first abduction by a witch. And then the director of Jeepers Creepers. Can we end on that dark of a joke?
3: I don't know. Uh, I feel like we are, but boy.
2: Oof.
0: That one might be better to cut out. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been at Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight.
4: And now, on with the show.